let's just be honest about where I am and where I'm doing this from. And I'll just do like a little Game of Thrones rant. And then um, uh, I'll go and attend to my father. And then uh, you guys will go into detail. I'm impressed that um, talking about Thrones qualifies uh, to your father as work because I can't get away with that with Edward for some reason. (laughs) Well, he doesn't know any different. What does he know? All right, let's do this real quick before he has another freak out. We are here for another episode of Let's Talk About Thrones, and we have with us, as always, Sir Anthony. Hello. And Sir Jenny from afar. Yes, Sir Jenny of Mount Sinai Hospital. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Just to be clear, it's not so much that I'm in the hospital, my dad's in the hospital, and uh, I'm being a good daughter. Yeah, and, and I am amazed that you're joining us for this, but we're, we're probably going to get a couple minutes of you, so we'll take advantage of that as best we can. We, yes. I, I, of course, am, I believe, Lord Commander Richard, and I am here to kick off the conversation about an episode that was ultimately called The Bells, which HBO very cleverly concealed until after the episode had aired live this was one of the episodes i saw that in my app it said episode 72 right so they've been doing that this whole season that's not something that i was anticipating it's not something that uh, i would have expected but they seem to have done a pretty good job of uh you know not spoiling us because the words the bells probably would have spoiled us. So let's get Mm -hmm. into it. And I'm going to kind of open this up by asking Jenny what what your overall impressions of are the uh, were of this penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. And I know you only have a little bit of time. So uh, this is this is your floor. All right. So here's the deal. Okay. Uh This episode was, in some ways, a better lit version of my thoughts on the Battle of Winterfell, right? (laughs) It was incredibly directed. There were subplots that were amazing. It blew your mind to see everything that they had thought about and plotted through. And I am of the opinion that the plotting was fantastic. Like, I I thought that, the again, the Arya and um, uh, the Hound arc was fantastic. I thought Clegane Ball was appropriately amazing. I thought John's arc, I mean, the end of Varys was the probably one of the most stunning things in the whole episode, and it happened in the first five minutes. And I guess the only thing that I, me and all of Twitter apparently agree on <laughs> um, is that they made the turn really fast on Daenerys' descent into madness. Now... As someone who has dealt with mental health issues throughout uh, her lifetime, not just me, but also, um, you know, members of my family, I understand that there can be a trigger event that sends you into craziness, which eventually, in this case, was the death of Missandei, and after that, it was all red-hot Targaryen rage. But 
one thing that struck me, one thing I'll never forget about this episode was Daenerys Targaryen, the moment that she heard the bells and they kind of triggered her again and she just went after it and started burning up all of King's Landing and murdering just innocent people. After that first shot of her on the dragon, you never saw her face again for the rest of the episode. And I was just kind of like, what? You never saw her wrestle. You never saw anything. She just became the deliverer of fire and no... There was no, no face you could lock it to, no this. It was just she was death from above. And that was the one thing that I actually thought was super unfair about what they did to her character. Um, otherwise, I would just say it really is an example of the same rushed feeling that we've had through all of these shortened yet longer episodes, which is there should have been two more arcs of this descent. And instead, mm-hmm. we got it in 15 minutes. And that's what people <laughs> were stressing out about. But like, look. They had in previous seasons her walking up to the throne in through a sea of ash. So, like, it's not like this hasn't been presaged. It's just in the exact moment it happened really abruptly. But I I will kind of say, like, in the exact moment it it does happen abruptly. Um, And then, you know, I think uh, uh, there's a really good uh, Twitter thread that if you go to my at Jenny J, J-E-N-N-I-E-J 23, I retweeted it about the difference between plotters and planters in writing in which plotters intricately plot things out beat by beat. And they, they move the story forward through plot. And in this instance, they move the story forward through character in the books, like George R.R. R. Martin's all about character and characters develop mm-hmm. and characters make choices through character. Like they don't, He's not. He lets the plot happen through the characters, and I think in this instance, with six episodes, you had to let the plot happen because of plot, and we're feeling it. We're just all feeling it. So that's my take on this episode from uh, Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. <laughs> so I have two quick questions for you, just so that we don't lose your input on this one. There, yes. there are two story arcs that for me are wholly unsatisfying and frankly disappointing. One of them is Arya's decision after an amazing moment between her and Clegane where mm. where he kind of shows his affection for her almost as a daughter and manages to talk her out of years of planning yeah. to kill Cersei in two seconds. And the other is Cersei, who's been a master at this chess game, just being a wet noodle the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. I had a big problem with that. So the Cersei Lannister uh, arc was probably my least favorite part of this. Although I will say I do think her end was consistent. A lot of people disagree with me there, but I do think Jamie's actions were consistent. I do think, and again, I don't believe there's an end until I see a body with these with these shows, right? So I, <laughs> while I think they were attempting an emotionally satisfying end, I'm not 100% sure that her character was served best. But I really do believe that uh, um, being toppled by your own ambition and buried by your own ambition, that's not half bad. I just think they, I think she was on another show. Like, to me, the lack of her appearance in the episodes preceding this felt like she was on another show. 
It was like, or, or having a baby or something. And it was unavailable that like the way they work around actresses availability. That's what that felt like to me. Cause otherwise it made no sense. How about Aria? I liked it. Nothing Aria does is wrong by me. It's like, it's like Clegane snapped her out of her single-minded list-based initiative, right? And that's all she'd been doing, the list, the list, the list. And then he snapped her out of it. He said, you're going to die. Do you want to die? And clearly she's still enough Aria to be like, no. And then she came out and tried to save people and was obviously completely devastated when the people she saved turned to Pompeii-level statues, mm-hmm. right? And then... This was my favorite part. The end of the episode, uh, she became the Book of Revelations. She got herself on a pale horse. And I think she is deaf, and I think she is headed straight for Daenerys. She's back. She's running back to the Della station so she can go home from Westworld. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what I got. Uh, I... I Look, I was enraptured by it. I watched it alone in my room after doing stuff to care for my dad that I never thought I would do and never want to do again. Uh, I got to go because I see the doctor. So you guys have a great episode. I can't wait to hear it. All right. Thank you (laughs) so much, Jenny. So, Anthony, I think just in that short amount of time, we kind of got a feel for my uh, frustration, and we'll, we can dive into that a little bit more, but your overall thoughts on this one? Um, given the limitations that we know we have, we have a definite end point, we have a time frame that we have to follow, I thought it was a... It, it might be my favorite episode this season. Wow! Yeah. Wow. All right. Okay. I read something this morning on Wired UK where they said this was probably the worst episode of the series. And I'm not entirely sure that I disagree with that. Hmm. I I can I I mean I can see that, but there I, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Of all the story arcs that occurred, the ones that I saw coming, I didn't think they'd have the balls to pull off. And the ones that I didn't see coming were surprising enough to me and played out well enough that I it didn't take me out of the moment. And I just overall... I. I, I like culmination. I like that we're not waiting until the very last episode to get to to all the answers. I, um, I like the fact that some things were answered right away, you know, or at least in this episode before we had to wait until the very last episode. Um, and I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not subjective to all the, all the, the hate hype out there. I, I really, I thought it was good. Hmm. My, my wife did not. I, I, I got the feeling from her that she may not even watch next week just because, she hated this week so much. Yeah, similarly, Edward hated this week's episode. When we were watching, the whole time, he's just saying, she's so stupid. She's so stupid. I can't believe how stupid she is. And I'm defending her up until the moment that she snaps. 
Because I'm like, she's young. She's mm-hmm. been put in this situation and she knows the kind of the limits of her abilities and what she's capable of accomplishing. And without her advisors, she's going to go a little bit haywire. I didn't expect it to be this bad. She So, so let's back up and let's kind of talk through some of the scenes to, so that we can put some context to this discussion. Yeah. We basically start with Varys. Varys mm-hmm. is... What what he appears to be doing is documenting what he knows. We don't know necessarily what's going to happen to that, whether he intends on sharing that information or just having it there in case anything happens to him. Ultimately, he ends up destroying what he, he's he, written. He's, he's writing a scroll, a raven scroll, and he's already got a couple written sitting beside him when when that's happening. So... I think he's trying to spread the word about John. Okay. And we're not we're not given any context or anything else. I think he's trying to spread the word about John. Now the the question is, did that did the did that those messages get out or was he uh unceremonious well actually rather ceremoniously stopped beforehand. So Right. Right. Because we see him burn some that he's writing and mm-hmm. we you know, I, you, we don't know if that's all of them or whether it, that's just the latest one that he had. So, but we also get the feeling that he's had some time, right? Because mm-hmm. they staged this with a girl coming in and and uh, presumably she's trying to get Daenerys uh, to, or try, taking food to Daenerys and reporting back to Varys about whether she's eating or not and how things are going. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Tyrion, who is basically confessing to Daenerys that Varys has betrayed her and I'm the person who told him. She figures that out mm-hmm. she, because she figures out how this played out. Sansa told him he after John told them and she never wanted that to happen. So she actually blames John. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And and says that Varys's death is on him, and they go and get they go and get Varys. They take him out. We have a great couple of uh, relatively quiet moments between Varys and Tyrion, where you mm-hmm. kind of have the opportunity to remember what trusted allies and friends they've been along this journey. And then you say, Sarah, unceremoniously or ceremoniously, just kind of as a matter of fact, in a regular old voice, Yep, we have Daenerys uttering the command to Drogon to burn him up. And it... it well- she 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 does explain that this is I mean she without saying that it's not a trial she says you know Lord Varys I Daenerys Stormborn first or Daenerys Targaryen Stormborn first of my name blah 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 um, sentence you to death yeah you know it, there was no trial there's no asking questions or anything else just matter of fact and like everybody knew that's what it was for and Drogon, and she kept her promise yeah oh yeah. Burn them alive. Yep. So yep. so that's the end of that. And that's how the episode starts. And 
I, I, this is where I feel, you know, this was my worst concern coming into these episodes is that it would feel rushed as we're starting to wrap things up. This one felt rushed. We, we just at the end of the last episode kind of talked about them talking treasonously and Varys kind of going off in his own direction. And for that to happen and get wrapped up in the first 10 minutes just seemed really, really rushed. Very much like what Jenny was saying. So that kind of set the stage, I think, for how the whole episode seemed to work from my perspective. See, and that is one thing that I don't feel this episode was was rushed. Um, hmm. I I think in in the in the context of things, you have to start closing storylines down. Daenerys, we'll get. To, I'm sure we'll get to Daenerys here in a little bit, but Daenerys played uh, played the game exactly the way she said she's going to. If I find out that you're doing this, I'm going to kill you. She did, so she did. Um, yep. And there, there didn't need to be any more drama to it. You had the little moment between Tyrion and Varys, and that was all that you needed because no one else has a personal connection to Varys. Everyone else just sees Varys as the spider. Tyrion was the only one that actually had a friendship or a kinship with him. So right. you had that closeout, and it was Tyrion that turned him in, Tyrion that told the story, Tyrion that, that ragged him out. So there didn't need to be anything else there. It was just known. It was matter of fact. It was ready. And you'll notice that you didn't hear Varys scream when Drogon blasted him with fire. Like, right. It, it was it was a matter of fact thing. And this was already promised to us by uh, Melisandre when, you know, she said we're both destined to, to die on this continent. Like, it, it, we already knew he was going to die. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I expected that. So it didn't that. feel rushed. It, to me, it didn't feel rushed. It felt right on time. It felt like we got business to attend to. We got other things we needed. We need to talk about. But this is one of those moments where let's close the story out, and I think they closed it out perfectly. Okay. All right. So let's move on to John and Danny because we have a moment where John visits Danny, and um, he's interrupting a conversation between. Grey Worm and Danny, where Danny presents to Grey Worm what I believe were the shackles, the leather shackles that Masundai uh, was was in. Is that correct? Yep. yep, it was her. That was her final possession. The the only thing she brought with her from Essos was were these. Uh, I think it was a collar, a slaver's collar. Okay. That that uh, that she kept or whatever. And she, Danny hands it to Grey Worm, and Grey Worm goes and throws it straight into the fire. And if you'll notice, when Danny addresses Grey Worm, she does so in the old Valerian, and she doesn't say Grey Worm; she says the Valerian words for Grey Worm. Hmm. So uh, I like, did not notice that. Okay. Yeah, as as an actual name. So, um, yeah, little little things, little things here and there that they're adding up very quickly. Yep. Okay. So, so John and Danny talk and it's the same old discussion i don't want to be king i told you this was going to happen yeah but i don't want it i'm you know you're my queen and they they have a very awkward moment where they come together she kisses him he seems to not respond 
then does a little bit, but pulls back. Mm-hmm. And I, I think ahead. this is his her trigger moment. Right. I was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say that. This is this is this is the John. This is irritating because I understand the argument against John and Danny. I don't care about it, but I understand the argument against John and Danny. Right. And I think they've established enough background for us to be okay with it if you want to be okay with it. Right. In in context of this storyline in this in this world, it's fine. It's it's one of the least atrocious things ever. <laughs> You know, considering all the incest and rape and everything else we've had, for a, for an aunt and a and a nephew to to get along with each other, right? It, it's it's not bad. Like, okay, I, I mean, it's not for me, but it's for them. Okay, cool. But John, he like in this instance, he has one job, and it's to lie. <laughs> he won't do that. Come on, I know, and he keeps. Like he's got too much Ned Stark in his brain, right? And he does the honorable thing, and he doesn't lie. And of course, that turns out poorly. Like John, just lie. Yeah, he's never going to do that. Never. We, we, we do need that. you to lie for five minutes. We need you to knock her off one more time, real quick, and then move on with your life. But don't let her going in go into this battle with the chip on her shoulder about anything. She talks about how people love him. She doesn't have love. Nobody loves her. He says he loves her. They kiss. She pulls away. She's like, they talk about how you could reign by love or fear. And she says, let it be fear. Well, she says, let it be fear then. Yes. Like this, she's not just saying that. She's saying it in response to John. In response to John pulling away. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Come on. God. John, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally in character for him. So I do not blame him at all. I I don't, I don't either. I don't either. I don't, I don't blame the storyline either. I just, it's, as a viewer of the show, it's a disappointment in, in a character that I have no right to be disappointed in. But, I'm disappointed in her, frankly, because I have a whole big problem with this whole black and white thing. You know, she just, she cannot seem to, she, she cannot seem to wrap her head around the idea of how to do this right. How, how she has multiple opportunities in this episode to do it right. And she blows it every time. So, next scene, Tyrion and Danny having the same old conversation as Danny is preparing the troops to go to war and put this to rest. And yes, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think you, I think you've already said it. It's the same old conversation. (laughs) And yeah, this is this is nothing new because this is. This is Danny wanting to go in guns a blazing and then somebody tempering her down. Exactly. And we get a moment where we think that even at this last stage where she's at the edge, Tyrion is successful. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell does he have up his sleeve? 
that he's going to pull off if he thinks that the city is going to surrender. He convinces her that if the gates go up and the bells go off, that is the sign that they have surrendered. Please, please, please don't attack them if the city surrenders. And she agrees. She agrees at least so much as to the command that she gives Grey Worm. She never says, okay. Right. She just nods to Grey Worm that, yes, do what he just said. I don't even think that... So, uh, I can go conspiracy theories here. I don't think that the conversation that John interrupted between Danny and Grey Worm was the only part of that conversation. I think they had other parts of conversation, and Danny nodding to Grey Worm wasn't saying, yes, if the bells ring and the gates go up, stop the attack. It was more like, that's our sign. You know that that thing that that we talked about earlier? This is, you're being activated now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This isn't, this isn't, hey, at that point, we'll stop. It's, hey, at that point, we take our vengeance. That's when our bloodlust can can be fulfilled. And Hmm. I picked that up when when it happened. And I was like, oh, that's not going to be good. These bells are going to go off and and bad things are going to happen. I did not read it that way. That kind of makes sense. And it helps explain another stupid move that I questioned later in the storyline. So uh, it's an interesting theory. I like it. All right. Well, in this conversation, Danny also lets Tyrion know that Jamie has been captured. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, of course, he has to go find Jamie. Not surprising. <laughs> so John, Tyrion, Davos are all landing by dinghy on shore at an encampment where the troops are preparing. They talk about how she wants us to go to war now. It's dark out. I'm thinking, oh, please, no. And John says, no, we'll go in the morning. I'm like, yes, thank you. I'll be able to see this battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, w- w- so when this happened, I was thinking, well, if they go at night, it, it, as long as she's not wearing one of her bright white coat cloaks um going at night might be the best thing we're going at least pre-dawn because you can't see a dark dragon in the sky at night you know that might be the best idea she turns that idea around and says well you can't see a a bright dragon you know when you're looking at the sun but um that was still my my first thought and i was like well that would be the perfect time to attack is right before dawn because then she can go in and start doing some damage to the battlements and things like that and the ships before the troops actually go in. But no, they waited until like noon. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like a high noon. Like they timed it for when the sun was going to be brightest. Yep. Yep. So Tyrion goes to find Jamie, manages mm-hmm. to talk his way past some guards by reminding them that he outranks them. If he really does, I don't know if that is true from a, from a military perspective, but he gets to talk to Jamie. They have what you kind of have to assume is their last moment together. Kind of again, this is almost a repeat of a scene that we've seen. And they even reference that mm-hmm. where 
he's letting Jamie go as opposed to Jamie freeing him as he did back in the castle years ago. Right. I this at this at this point you knew Jamie was going to die. Like, yes, because it was it had become recursive. All the things had had come back. So, and we have between them what I think is probably the most satisfying closure between characters that I've probably ever seen in this series. Yes, it's. And it's satisfying because you know there can only be two outcomes. You can you know that either one of them is going to die or that they will never see each other again. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two possibilities. Because if they ever see each other again, one of them is going to die. Yep. You know, so it's, um, yeah, it, it it really closes it all out. I'm glad. And this is really what Tyrion wanted the entire time. He he wanted to tell his brother how he actually felt and and how he you know, had looked up to him and, and had held him in a sacred place this whole time and thank him for protecting him when he was little and things like that, even though he was part of this torture that his family put him put Tyrion through. Um, he was still the best of the torturers. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, this is, this is a, nice, a nice moment of closure that you knew was a mo- moment of closure and you didn't have to, like, guess or anything else. It was just kind of, like, delivered to you. Here's, here's the happy part. And it's this yeah. sad moment. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, meanwhile, <clears throat> tons of people are flooding into the gates, unbeknownst to them, where they're going to get slaughtered eventually. And, mm. of course, that's Cersei's plan, right? Mm-hmm. If they attack us, then I want as many people to die as possible because that will dissuade them from doing that. Mm. Well, maybe, maybe not. So people are flooding in. We see Arya, who is he, she and the Hound, the Hound uh, Clegane are on their way to, you know, handle their respective lists. Yeah. (laughs) Is it lists or is it their targets, right? She's there to kill Cersei. He's there to find and kill the mountain. Yeah. Uh, I I think they're, they're each uh, one item lists and I don't know if a single item create is constitutes a list, but that's essentially where they're at. Here's Um, also where we are introduced to the mother and daughter that weave through the storyline in this episode and kind of add a personality and faces to the many people of the city who yeah. are, are, you know, and the fate that they're facing. This is Schindler's red coat. Uh, I don't understand the reference cause I've never seen the movie you're referencing, but mm. okay. Yeah. There's uh Throughout Schindler's List, there's this one little girl wearing a red coat that you kind of see off all the time, and it's a black and white movie, so this red coat really stands out, and it's the only color in the in the whole movie. And then um, you 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 follow the fate of this red coat and this little girl that's wearing it, and this is essentially what, what we're doing here. We we meet this this mother daughter pair, and you, we follow them through their entire story until it concludes, and. It's just that they're 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 memorable enough to know that you've seen them before, but not necessarily to know where you've seen them before. And 
it, it's it just it weaves this little bit of a narrative for the people in uh, in King's Landing by way of these these two people. This was incredibly well done. This may be my favorite. This may be my favorite little thing of this episode. Just the way they use them to represent to put a personal face on the people of the city. Yeah. I thought that was just phenomenal. All right, so let's go to war. Everybody's preparing for war. The troops are outside. Inside, we have scorpions everywhere. Everyone's wondering, where's the dragon? Where's the dragon? Mm -hmm. But as you said, Danny is way more strategic this time around. Yeah. Yeah, instead of just floating along, lollygagging around, she actually flies up and does. Uh, dang it! I just re- the the new name of the maneuver just flipped off my off my mind. But um, you basically fly in the direction, or you you fly at your enemy from the direction of the sun, thereby blinding your enemy to your exact location and giving you the advantage until you get much much closer. And she uses that to full effect to take out uh, Euron in his, in his navy. And also because of how dragons are constructed by flying directly at the enemy, she also exposes the least amount of surface area yes. for them to hit. Yep. Right. So the lowest profile, she is way, way more strategic about that. She basically decimates the fleet in a couple of passes and takes some some side maneuvers to start getting some of the scorpions from the walls of the city as well. And in very short order, manages to eliminate all of the weaponry that they had against the dragon. Yes. And and again, this is two parts. One, it's the hiding in the sun and attacking the ships. And then once, because when you're that high, the scorpions can't aim that high. They can... They can, you know, go pretty far. They can angle pretty high up, but they can't go directly, you know, straight up. And uh, coming, so coming down at the ships like that, the ships had a better chance than, than the battlements did, and the ships didn't last very long because of, you know, the profile of the sun, all that kind of stuff. And then she goes and attacks the scorpions by strafing at a low altitude. Well, they can't go down. They're trained, they're, they're, right. they're designed to go up. So she attacks from a low altitude, which limits their ability and their mobility to to attack her. And by the time they can even think about adjusting and and, uh, uh, gaining their bearing on it, she's already decimated most of the battlements on the the Red Keep. Oh, and by the way, while doing that, good time to probably also light up and scare the shit out of the Golden Army and Mm. literally cause their general to run away. Okay. I thought that was crazy lame. Yes, that was. So she comes through, she flies through uh, the city and comes, has Drogon blast away the, the main gate to, uh, to where all the, the, her troops are waiting outside. The golden company is standing out there just waiting for the troops to start marching in on the city. And they don't have to wait very long because the gate blows up, blows half the Golden Company away, and most of the others just run away. Uh, now there's a big gaping hole in the wall for all of Daenerys' troops to flood through.
Yeah, so they didn't even like it it's they the running away really bugged me. It really <laughs> bugged me. This is an army for hire. And they I felt like they should have been badasses. They ran mm. away. They also have never faced a dragon. True. Did nobody tell them who they were fighting? I mean, come on. It, it's it's one thing to hear stories about this lady and her dragons. It's another thing entirely to have this huge beast flying through, just blasting away at everything. Okay, so, I'll give you that. And again, that will follow through shortly in yeah. some additional discussion that we'll have. So basically, most of the forces are decimated and... All the while, Cersei's been looking at the progress of this battle from her tower. And she's had her her hand, Kyburn, there delivering bad news the entire time. And yet, she stands firm. She's just going to stand and watch. She has confidence that everything will be fine. Her troops will... Pre- will protect her. Nothing to worry about. I think this is where most people are getting it wrong. Okay. Tell me how I'm wrong, because this pissed me off. This does not strike me as the calculating strategic figure that we have spent seven years learning about. Because she's not. What? I told you back when Tommen jumped out the window, she was losing her grip on her sanity. Hmm. Okay. So she's not standing there in defiance with confidence. She's standing there in defiance that anything's going to happen to her because she's lost the reasoning part of her mind. She's over. She's, she's completely taken that away. That's why she was even thinking about uh, uh, having holding Euron as a consort. That's why she has no ability. It's not. It's not not wanting uh, to back down. She doesn't have the ability to reason that things are going to end. She is so megalomaniacal. Megaloma. I can't say that word. Um, <laughs> that she doesn't understand that there's repercussions. She has convinced herself that everything is going to work. Because she wants it to. Like, hmm. this is not a sane woman standing at a window watching everything burn around her with confidence that it's going to stop. This is a woman driven into madness by the effects of her life and her choices, and she is not able to see that things are not going to go her way. It's, it's not confidence, it's madness. Okay. All right. That explanation would be, you know, would would fit with what happened. Even with us discussing that, I forgot that. And I have to wonder, does your average viewer even pick that up? Probably not. And that's why I'm a super fan. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, meanwhile, Chaos is 
going on down on the ground. And, of course, that's what Cersei's watching. Grey Worm is, um, is on the front line with Jon, and, and they Tyrion. are... And, yeah, what is that about? I just don't understand it. I, and they're kind of at... They're well, at a... Remember, uh, remember Tyrion, Tyrion freed Jamie to go save Cersei in hopes that Jamie would talk Cersei into some semblance of, of sanity and get Cersei out of there. And once Cersei's sure. removed, the city would fall. There'd be less blood. But Tyrion just sent Jamie into the lion's den, quite literally, in order to and now he in in order to to try to control the situation and to know the information and see what happens and and understand what's going on, he has to be right in the thick of things. He's not going to be standing on the side, even though he's not fighting. He wants to be as close to what's going on as possible. He wants to see it everything go down with his own eyes. He's hoping to see Jamie and Cersei running away, hoping that the little dinghy will be effective and they'll be able to get out of there. Um, so it, it makes sense for him to be there. It's just tragic the way that it plays out. It is tragic, and he gets to watch it right from the thick of it. But meanwhile, the Danny's troops and are winning. The, the they're, they're winning, but we're now inside the city at, at a at a literal crossroads, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> and we have Danny's army and the folks from the King's army. Landing, the Lannister army, at a sta- uh, stalemate. And they are kind of poised to fight. And then the dragon flies in overhead. You hear a whole lot of screaming. And the Lannister armies drop their swords when the dragon lands. Yep. And they realize they can't win against this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about that time that we start to hear the bells ringing. It is. People we hear yelling, lots of people yelling, please ring the bells. Please, for God's sake, ring the bells. Yep. And then the bells. So we finally get the moment we were waiting for where the battle is over. And Danny has won, and now we can. Oh, right! But that's not how it's going to play out, is it? Right. Be yeah. Uh. And and I I can imagine this is the part that you had the biggest problem with, especially with the sped up timelines that everyone talks about and everything else. And this is the part where I had already decided this was going to happen, and it played exactly to my expectations. And maybe I'm just far too cynical to watch this as a normal person. Uh, like um but this this is exactly how i thought it was going to happen and it did and yes go ahead yeah so danny goes crazy danny loses it and you see that in her face and this is the moment that jenny was talking about where this is the last time we see danny we see her go from her her kind of uh, strategic fighting mode into this crazy mode and you see it in her face you see tears you see anger you see rage and that's the last that you see her face and she takes off on the dragon and all hell breaks loose yeah yeah and and i think what it is 
conquering the city was a hollow victory. It didn't give her the satisfaction she needed because her enemy wasn't the city. Her enemy was Cersei Lannister. Fine. Go get Cersei. She's in one of those towers. Right? I mean, she, she decides for whatever reason to start burning up the city before even glancing at the towers to think, oh, maybe Cersei's up in one of those. I, th- I think she did look at the towers. I think she knew Cersei would be in the Red Keep, this building that her ancestors had, had created, had built. And I, th- the, I don't think she saw the people in King's Landing or the Red Keep as um, the people she was liberating anymore. She was now taking vengeance on the people that were supporting Cersei Lannister. Hmm. And this is all part of that descent into madness because Cersei and Daenerys have the same, the same disease, the same mental disease. They just went, they, they, they got there different ways, but what it is, um, Danny, this entire, the, the, the whole series, Danny has been edging on insanity. She's been brought up to understand that this is her destiny. She doesn't have anything else. Her only goal was to take the Iron Throne. She's said this multiple times in the series that her only, the only thing that she's fought for her entire life is to take the Iron Throne. Right. Okay. We, we have this moment where we think she might be a heroine. Um, in several instances, you know, Marine and she's freeing the people and she cares about the people. But when it comes to her enemies, she's only ever had one consideration and that's obliterating her enemies. She's always had to be brought down from that. That's always been her natural tendency is to just rain fire and blood. I mean, that's, you know, that's the house, the house sigil or whatever. And this is not out of character for her to snap at this moment when, when, with no none of her her um, advisors around her, her lover rejecting her, and everything that she's fought for being so close at hand, it doesn't. It's not out of character for her to snap at that moment because there's nothing holding her back anymore. She's yeah. done it. Yeah. No. No I one suppose. can tell her no anymore, and this has I always suppose. been her natural tendency. So she does it. She does it. She, I mean, I, I will want to actually talk a little bit about predictions this time, and we don't usually do that, but mm. she lost the throne. She, she lost the throne. Well, now... now it, Even she, if she survives, she lost the throne. She can't... As, she could have gone in there as the victor and as the savior of the city, the the person who released them from the grip that was Cersei Lannister that's going to treat him fairly and everything else, she lost that. There's still the option of holding the throne through fear and through power, just like she said at the beginning of the episode. We'll see if that goes, and and I guess we'll talk some some uh, some theories towards the end here. But um, those are the two options. You can either have the people's love or the people's fear, and right now she has the people's fear clearly. What, yeah. what what people are left. Yeah, but I don't see that those who remain around her will actually stand for her taking the throne. I just, I, I don't 
see it happening, but we'll we'll see how that plays out. So she's on a vengeance and she's burning everything. People are dying. Grey Worm throws his sword at the men who had his spear at the men who had put down their swords. I was looking at the word sword as I was reading (laughs) that. Um, And, and chaos breaks out on ground too. Yes. Gray worm, gray worms. Gray worm has been, I feel one of the most level headed military characters and, true to their mission that they've had in this entire series. And maybe, as you said, this was him acting on what they discussed. When I give the signal, then do your thing. But but killing men who had laid down their swords is so, so dishonorable. So dishonorable. I had a real problem with that with his character. And I know vengeance and Missunday and love and all that. Right. What value was killing Missunday? Yeah. She was literally a translator. She did she held no no other other than her, keeping her prisoner would be one thing, but actually killing her wasn't a matter of military uh uh, uh st- strategy. It was an emotional strategy. Mhm. And that elicits an emotional response. Mm-hmm. This was not a military tactician kind of thing that Grey Worm was doing. He was taking out vengeance because they took away the one thing he, that he loved. And the one person he's loyal to, other than Masande, is Daenerys. And Daenerys has decided that uh, the city doesn't need to be in one piece. And Grey Worm is going to follow her lead because that's what he does. I don't. I don't yeah. think this was a lack of military bearing or a breaking character. This was him uh, finally releasing years of pent up rage and doing so in a way that shows his loyalty. So it's easily justifiable in his own mind. Okay. Well, meanwhile, while that's happening, John, who's suffered plenty of loss himself through similar moves by people he loves being killed, is still trying to be the voice of reason. He's trying to hold back the men. He sees the chaos that's happening. His people are killing people who live in the city instead of protecting them. How insane is that? At at one point, he finds a woman about to get raped, and he ends up killing the person. And I'm pretty sure the person was a northerner that was going to rape the other woman. Um it, it it it's just complete chaos. John is completely beside himself, and this is the most true to a character's arc that I think we we go um, until we get to the until we get to Arya really. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is just a, a this is sad to see John, and and I think he needed to see this. He needed to see what is going on and what his honor has wrought. This is why she won't get the throne, because he sees what she is doing, and he will recognize at that moment that she is not fit to rule. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is clearly his his moment of of understanding. So. So, hey, um, remember that thing where we thought everybody 
on the ships died and that everybody was burnt up and oh right well Euron survived because of course he did <laughs> and happens to be kind of a uh, person wrecked washed up on the same beach that Jamie is happens to be on because he, Jamie couldn't get through the city in time and he couldn't get the guard's attention to show his hand to so show who he was so he's going the back road into he's going in the exit which I think is is all you need to know about how where how Jamie's going through life. He's going in the exit the the way that they were supposed to sneak out of the castle. He's using that to then sneak in. Which why wouldn't you just do that in the first place? Right. Whatever. Right. But so he's there. We see the dinghy. That's how he's supposed to get away with Cersei. Great. Yep. Euron sees him, and Euron is being his normal dickish self, and. Basically goads Jamie into fighting. Jamie doesn't really want to fight, but he has no choice. And so we get this really weird, overly long, drawn out fight between them where Jamie is mortally wounded but doesn't die. And eventually, <laughs> and eventually, Euron does. Yeah. Yay. I, 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 I'm glad Euron's dead. It's. <laughs> Did, Yet did we, another part of this story that seems like a diversion. Like it was completely useless and unnecessary. Did we see Euron die? Of course, we didn't actually see him die. We see him seconds before death. And as everyone knows, not everybody dies. We, 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 we saw Jamie get stabbed three times in the belly with an extremely long dagger. Once side to side. Yes. Like through and through. You, you, right. But he's still walking. Yeah. He's still walking enough to go up through the catacombs. And yeah, this is this fight. And the fact that we don't see Euron die, the fact that Jamie survives three bodily lacerations, like, and managed to make it all the way into the Red Keep and most of the way back out. This is the part where my suspension of disbelief was most um, uh, hampered. Hmm. Like this it, is it, what it took, huh? Yeah. The, this. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I did, this just annoyed me because it was un, unrealistic that he had as much energy, even on adrenaline, that he did on his mission to save his sister. But whatever. Okay, so maybe Euron died. He definitely got struck down by Jamie. Jamie got struck down, but he's up again. And meanwhile, back in the city, Danny is finally targeting the castle. Mm -hmm. So spires are falling. The place is a mess. Kyburn finally convinces Cersei to get the hell out of there. Well, because he tells her the, four, the, the armies are dead, the scorpions are, are destroyed. There's nothing left but to try to get you to somewhere safe. Right. <laughs> and and this time, somehow, she listens. I, I guess I'm glad. I don't know. So, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, I think her lease on that window finally expired. Uh, because <laughs> she's been, this season has been Cersei in the window. That, that, that could be the name of this season. <laughs> Cersei it in is, the window. It is definitely the name of... 
this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. So, <sighs> yeah, okay, Arya and Clegane are in the castle while it's falling around them, and mm-hmm. they have this wonderful tender moment that we talked about. It is probably my favorite scene between them. Again, I like when they have kind of moments of closure. This was a really good moment of closure between Clegane and Arya. Mm-hmm. Clegane kind of shows his love and affection toward and and um, kind of paternal instincts toward her. And yeah. like I said before, convinces her not to die. Don't go through with the mission we just talked about while we rode down here for the last five weeks. Yes. They've been together on a journey from the north down to the south, very likely talking about everything they do once they get there. Or not talking about it at all. Maybe not, but they made the journey... And this is the culmination of everything she has wanted to do. But he manages to get through to her and she listens. And I, I can see why people think this is great, but I have a problem with this. this. I just don't think she would have changed her mind. I think you're wrong. And I think it's because, how do, how do, I, how do I put this? When you live in the fantasy of accomplishing something, especially when you've already, you have this list of things you're going to get done and you've already done most of the list and what remains of the list has been taken care of by other people except for one or two items and you're there with a person who's going to take care of the other item. So it's just the mountain and Cersei that's on her list. Clegane Bowl is going to take care of the mountain, hopefully, and she's going to take care of Cersei. And this is a fantasy that you live in. This is what I'm going to do. This is how things are going to go out. And I've had all this success. And then you get into a castle that is literally being blasted by dragon fire, falling in upon itself. And you have the person who, whether they tried to or not, was instrumental in the way that you see the world. Telling you that this is over. You can't survive this. Do you want to be me? Even if you do survive, are you going to be just angry and bitter and resentful for the rest of your life? Are you going to Mm -hmm. let that control you and keep you from relationships and keep you from uh, exceeding at the things that you want to, that you want to do? Do you, he literally says, do you want to be me? And if you're watching Maisie Williams' face changes at that moment. She goes yep. from Arya the killer back to Arya the child. And that is when I think it all clicks for her that she doesn't want to be Sandor Clegane. She wants to be something more. She wants she has other aspirations, other things to do in life than just waste it all on getting rid of this one name. And it it is a sudden realization and it may seem even more sudden if you realize, Oh yeah, they've been traveling for 30 days and they probably talked about this and blah, 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 blah. But they probably didn't. 
because even mm. in their even in their most tender moments, they didn't share their goals and aspirations with each other. Yeah, perhaps they, it, not. It, it was always rather businesslike. Okay. All right. Um, we will agree to disagree. I, I can see your point. I just have a hard time fathoming it. And so they part, hmm. and Clegane makes his way up what remains of the tower to get the mountain. We see Kyburn and the mountain and Cersei kind of trying to get out as it's falling down around them. And of course, now we know that Cersei is not going to meet Arya's knife, but Clegane has the opportunity to mm. end it with Cersei. But he has only one thing on his mind, the mountain, period. Yes, and I think, and I, I saw some flack about this as well. I think this was completely in character. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have no problem with this. This yeah. is exactly what I expected to happen. In fact, I think this whole sequence is so satisfying in so many ways. So we have him going for the mountain, the mountain kind of remembering himself, Mm. and ultimately defying Kyburn and <laughs> killing Kyburn, that itself is incredibly satisfying. I, I, I didn't see... So he grabs Kyburn and throws him against the wall, and as he's throwing him against the wall, I was thinking, man, that's going to hurt bad. Like, that's, that should at least shatter. If that, if that doesn't... Like, if I don't see blood, I'm going to be... Uh, oh, no, there's... Oh, He's dead. Oh, oh Kyburn's done. Okay. <laughs> and it was like the most satisfying of the deaths in this uh, in this episode, to be honest with you, was the mountain just smashing Kyburn against the wall and then throw, unceremoniously throwing him, just tossing him like trash down the stairs. Right. Like somebody <laughs> who didn't matter, right? Right. It, it, and also, by the way, his creator. So let's not forget all that symbolism, too. Mm-hmm. So, so well done. I really liked that. Then we get some words between the mountain and <clears throat> Clegane. Now, help me out here, because multiple times they refer to each other as my brother. Uh-huh. True? For real? Yes. The mountain... How did I not know this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This is established in, like, episode three or something like that. Um, yeah. Sandor Clegane and, um, Oh, the, what's the mountain's name? I don't remember. So the hound and the mountain are brothers. Uh, the mountain is the one that burned the hound in the flame. which caused them all the grief and the fear of fire and everything else. Mm -hmm. So this is literally Clegane bowl. This is, this is the brothers going after each other because this is what we've been waiting for since we found out that the brother and the hound were, were, or the mountain and the hound were brothers back in like episode three. So Anthony, what'd you think? Um, I liked it. I, I, I liked the fight more than, uh, than the explanation of the ending because it's, eventually they, uh, they tussle some of uh, the mountain's armor gets tossed off and you can see that he's basically like a patchwork of a, of a, a machine, almost like Darth Vader, like, um, under the armor, and he, he 
at one point he grabs uh, grabs the hound and throws him against the wall and then goes to squeeze his eyes and I was like, damn, dude, like what do you got against eyeballs? Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, that's fitting. Okay, I know that move. Yeah. And uh, the hound slashes him a few times, stabs him straight through and through, and it's not effective at all. So when the hound grabs him and basically pulls him through, you know, they, they smash through through a wall, and uh, he drags him with him uh, uh, down the tower, and they fall into a a pit of flames several hundred feet below. I thought that it was completely fitting. Their story has ended together the way that it always should have. Yeah, I, I liked I liked this. I liked this a lot. It is probably my favorite fight in a long time. I think that the what what we see of the mountain and how what he is is revealed to us kind of the same way at the same time that it's revealed to the hound is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We also it, it, you met, you forgot to mention that he manages to get a knife through his brain, basically mm-hmm. like through his head. And that's probably the thing that gives him the biggest advantage. That's the, that's the thing that, that, seems to affect him the most so that there's at least something up there that's driving this body to continue to work. <laughs> and then yeah. and then we have that moment where they fall together. He he basically he the hound kamikazes him, basically uh pushes him off and takes takes him down. They go down together. I thought it was perfect. It's exactly what it needed to be. I thought it was very well choreographed and very satisfying. Yep. yep. I liked it a lot. Not as not, not as much as Kyburn getting smashed against a brick wall, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. Now we're at the point where I am completely unsatisfied. Mm. Jamie finds Cersei mm-hmm. in the courtyard, in the, the map courtyard. How did Jamie and Arya not oh, who, run across each other? Who the hell knows? Who what the hell knows? Well, because he's coming up from underneath. Oh, right? right. And she's running out to the city. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Thank right. you for clearing that up. Yeah. So he finds her, convinces her to get out of there. She's actually glad to see him. And we don't really know how that is going to play out. But of course, you know, like I'm not surprised by that. He manages to get her to uh, go down and escape with him mm-hmm. into and to, at least to get to some safety. So they're down in the what do they call that where the dragon bones were kept? Uh, the catacombs. But yeah, there the, was a different name for it, yeah. but whatever. So they're in they're in the catacombs, and they they're there, and she is in a panic because they can't get out, and she's like, "I don't want to die. I don't want to die." I'm, you know, and he is just trying to get her to focus. Just, right. it's it's okay. I am here with you. Just focus. He has to know that they're not getting out, that they're not surviving. Yep. She is just kind of a little bit, well, a lot crazy, obviously, <laughs> and and not necessarily but, ready for that. But she's hysterical. 
Yes, and, and again, this all feeds, and not hysterical like funny ha-ha, like hysterical right. in the, the classical meaning. Um, right. But this all feeds... Out of into, character for her, but if she's mad, perhaps not. Right, and, and that's just it. This is, I mean, she has no, there's no sanity left. There's no mental awareness left. She's lost, between losing the city and everything that's happened to her and everything else, She's there's nothing left there to hold on to reason. So this is... Literally, her finding a safe point in her brother, and not, you know, not not wanting, not being able to function beyond that. And they stand there together as we see death coming their way with everything around them collapsing, and we assume they die together down there. But again, we don't see a body, so hmm. we don't. But let's just, I'm, I'm. That's got to be it. I, I mean, I, if if they end up resurrecting them somehow that's going to seem just so ridiculous it's really going to piss me off more than how unsatisfying her death is (laughs) i thought it was fine i i enjoyed it i'm i'm just glad to see cersei die to be honest with you like just get out of here i I wish Arya had killed her but uh, i'll take breaks for for 200 alex yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I liked your theory last week better about Jamie, where maybe he was there to <sighs> like help get her off the throne, which is kind of what he was doing. Yeah. But he was there to be with her, too. Yeah, and that's the part that I didn't expect and that I was hoping wouldn't happen, and that did happen, and that makes me sad. Yep. Yep, me too. And then all we're left with, really, is the chaos on the ground and Arya making her way through all of that. And this is pretty lengthy. We get a a series of scenes where we see her. She meets up with that woman and daughter that we have seen a number of times by now. Mm -hmm. And uh, she actually, I believe, ends up meeting them because she's getting trampled. Like, there's there's the scene where everybody is kind of running and she gets knocked down and trampled. And I'm at the point where I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Everything that this girl has been through and, she's gonna and die they're going to fucking kill her like this. I cannot take that. I cannot take it. But yeah. the way everything else is going, I wouldn't have been surprised but that's not what happens. Mm-mm. This woman ends up helping her up and getting her out of uh, the craziness and indoors. But Arya manages to convince them to get out of there because they're not safe there. Yep. They need to get out of the city. So she goes back outside, manages to get the woman and daughter to go with her. Oh, but that dragon is still lighting people up out there. Now they, they 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 have several close calls and yep. it, it almost seems for a moment like oh my gosh this is actually going to work but then you remember that King's Landing is like literally miles wide and there's just not there's too much city not enough time and dragons come through and uh, it doesn't end well burn people like Pompeii statues I believe is how Jenny, Jenny put, put it, it. Yeah. and yeah that's she manages to get out of the line of fire. The mother and daughter do not. And Arya kind of 
gets herself up and looks over and sees them. I honestly expected Arya to get up after being nearly blasted by Dragonfire, get up and have a half-melted face and almost Ooh. literally have become the Hound. That's what oh. I was expecting. It was way, way, way scratched up. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. She's all beat to crap. She's covered in, in ash, and she's got blood everywhere. She's She's been knocked out, like, at least twice. Like, it, she's not doing well. Um, no. Luckily, she's got an incredible survivor instinct. But, yeah, when she came up from the flames, I was expecting, like, half her face to be burnt, her to be, like, the female version of the Hound, and I was like, man, that'd just be poetic as shit. Um that's not what happened. She gets up, sees her Pompeii family in the middle of the street. And I think that's when, and, and right after that, she looks up at, at Danny flying overhead. And I think that's when Danny made the list. Uh, yeah, very possibly. I missed that. Like, I missed that that's what she's going to do next. And perhaps it is. Uh, that would be, that seems to be the consensus of everything that I'm reading. And I'm, Okay with that. I'm completely okay with that. So this is roughly the time, as things settle down now, because everything around her is dead, that she notices that the folks from the Dallas control room have sent her a white horse. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I... (laughs) And if you look at the horse in this in the shot, you can it's covered in dust. You can see where it had and a, blood. Yeah, it had a saddle blanket. It is it's got blood all over the front of it mostly. I think this was one of the Dothraki's uh, uh, Dothraki blood riders horses. Okay, that, that had lost its rider in some really uh, uh, harsh fashion, so that the all the tackle and everything else was taken off. Of course, they don't use a lot of tackle, so I guess that's not really that much of an issue. It's not like the not like their horses have bits. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this is just a, a, a coincidence in the form of uh, maybe showing my hand a little bit here, but it was a white horse with a brown spot, and it reminded me of Jakar Jaharis or whatever his name is. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't, so, I didn't catch that, but you always catch the stuff much better than I do. Or I just assume things that aren't there and, and have them get justified somehow later anyway. So <laughs> so she rides off into the ashen sunset. The, yeah, I was going to say the ash set, but that didn't sound right. <laughs> and so ends this episode. Yes. So we're left. Let's let's take a, a, a tally of who's left. Okay. We have... We have Arya. Mm-hmm. We have John. We assume Tyrion. We haven't. We didn't see Tyrion get out of the city, but we kind of. I kind of assume Tyrion is alive, and he was in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, tra- the trailer, by the way, that was only like three seconds long. Like mm. it was not a long trailer. They did not get yeah. away very much at all. Right. Right. Okay. Davos survived. Uh, Davos, I think, was somewhere waiting for Jamie and Cersei because remember Tyrion had asked him if he was up for one last uh, smuggling job, and I think that mm. job wasn't to get the dinghy to the spot. I think the job was to get the dinghy to Essos. So I think Davos is somewhere else. 
Okay. Which, which again makes Davos the smartest person in Westeros. <laughs> he always is. Because he's nowhere near everything else going on. <laughs> he always is. And then as far as anyone else down at the south, we assume Danny and Grey Worm. Yes. And that's it, isn't it? Um Yeah, because everybody else is in is in the north somewhere. So yeah, right. you got Danny Grey Worm, John, Tyrion. Oh, I know we're missing people. But that's kind of it. So so what next? You said you wanted to pontificate a little bit. Yeah, so between I it's my belief that there's no way Daenerys is going to get the throne, even if she tries to make a claim for it. John would either uh, perhaps pull rank. I don't know what forces he would have to fight her for it if he needed to. Or the, the theory that Arya would kill her. I think that's valid, too. I, I think that is probably the cleanest way to wrap this up. Hmm. The question is, does John sit on the throne? Or does John even survive? Because why wouldn't, like, right now, why wouldn't the remaining good guys survive? Hmm. It would take some sort of fight with Daenerys and those who are still loyal to Daenerys mm-hmm. for them to not survive, right? Mm-hmm. Well, who's who is genuinely loyal to Daenerys over Jon, though? Grey Worm. Yeah, and the armies report to Grey Worm. Right, the armies that are left because Danny wasn't uh, she wasn't checking flags when she was blasting away at King's Landing. That's true. Everybody was equal opportunity toast. Right. So I. Kent and I did a Deadpool a couple weeks ago to see who we thought would die, who would turn into a white, who would end up on the yeah, throne. Yeah, I skipped over that when you gave me the Richard warning. Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> we we do our best. Um, I actually have Tyrion sitting on the throne in the Deadpool. And I still don't think that's too far off from what might happen. How does that happen? How do, what's the line of succession that allows that to happen? or Or sequence of events that allows that to happen? I so line of succession not so much. Uh, if you want to talk about that, talk to Kent because he's got. Unless some, in fact he, he is a Targaryen, which we've hinted at. Yes, and there have been hints about yes. for the last couple of seasons. Yes, I I I think. Oh man, um, I. Because I don't, I don't have John down for surviving, and I don't know that he. I How? thought, I thought, what, like what takes him out? I thought he was going to die at the Battle of Winterfell. Hmm. I thought he would die fighting the Night King, and I thought Bran would actually be the one to kill the Night King. The only time in the entire history of the show that I didn't think Arya was going to be the one killing the Night King was right. that one episode, and that's the one episode where Arya killed the Night King. <laughs> um. So honestly. It, my entire, all of my theories have, have kind of been smashed, which is, makes it a good show. But I don't see Daenerys sitting on the throne. I still think Tyrion is probably the most likely. Um, 
Also probably the best pick. Right. Um, and I think he does so with Sansa at his side. And that's completely uh, just of my own Ooh, thoughts. That is, oh, that is wonderful. I, I like that because there are theories that Sansa takes the throne. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would be a good ruler. I don't think she's deserving of that necessarily. And again, it's that line of succession thing. Like, how does she get there other than the fact that she's kind of queen of the north right now for lack of anyone else being there <laughs> right i i don't think danny and john survive i think something happens with those two um whether aria kills danny and then john kills well john wouldn't kill aria uh maybe aria kills danny gray worm kills aria and then john kills gray worm and is mortally wounded himself, and that leaves Tyrion as the next in line because all the other uh, successors of both houses are gone. Um, of course, you could always have Gendry, but I don't think Gendry would be a very good king either. That doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. Uh, which I think I think Gendry is who Kent picked. Um, but yeah, I think Tyrion and Sansa are still a possibility. Uh, John being a possibility would be great. I would love to see Danny on the throne at the end of this. I don't think it's going to happen. What? But it, what? Yep. I. I be, Why? Because it's the not. It, because it's not the good story. It, because it's not the happy ending. I would do, oh. just just plot sake. I would. I think that would be amazing. I don't want it to happen, but I think that would be amazing. Um, wow, that's interesting. Okay, all right. Because remember, we're not supposed to have main characters die either, and we got one. The, the our first main character died in episode two, and we found out that Namir, uh, uh Lady wasn't a main character. Like we, you know, had all this build up about the wolves, and Lady died in episode two, and then Ned died in episode nine. We thought the story was about him. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I I get that. I get that. So Dan- right. Danny ended up on the throne would just be poetic justice for this show. Hmm. Interesting. I, I would be very dissatisfied with that solution, but we'll see what ends up happening. I yeah. don't feel like they're actually worried about what people are thinking and how it's going to be resolved. Uh, this this writing, no. In all in honesty, I I don't I don't think they are worried. Let me say this differently. There has been enough in both the production and the storyline and the way that they have been. I believe, kind of quickly wrapping things up, that they are more concerned about getting to an ending that they can justify and doing it in a way that they're, that, you know, they're proud of from an artistic perspective than what works for the audience. They are on record as saying that uh, when someone asked them where they're going to be to watch the final episode, the finale... They are on the record as saying they're going to be very far away from the internet and very drunk. (laughs) I think that's fair. (laughs) All right. Two more questions for you. Okay. Do you really think that anybody that died this week is going to be alive in the final episode? No. Okay, neither do I. I don't think we have time. I don't think we have... There's there's not enough... uh, 
and especially going into the last episode, nobody has a plot. Uh, uh, no, no one has plot armor enough to go into the last episode. Yep. Okay. And final question. Do we see walkers again? Yes. Ooh. Interesting. Be- okay. Because we, I, we have a contingent of people to include ghost going up north that we haven't heard from in an entire episode, which is fine normally because it's just one episode, but we're getting down to crunch time. And we opened the series with um, Men of the Night's Watch, North of the Wall, seeing White Walkers, and not just a a white, but an actual walker um, that was doing crazy shit. And it would just, just like it would be fitting for Danny to be on the throne at the end of this, it would be fitting for uh Tormund and and uh the, the Tormund and company to go north through the wall and to see a white walker or a white or some semblance that the night king is not dead because we have to revisit the north again in the final episode if the characters there don't come down south right 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 it, there's uh, yeah there's 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 too many beans in the chili for that not to happen. <laughs> I have never heard that one before. I might have to use that someday. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun because I actually wanted to do some speculation this time, and yeah. I don't let myself normally do that. And there was a lot to talk about in this episode, even though I'm not ultimately happy about it. I I have a question for you, though. Oh, Okay. I want to know because every like if you were to watch the second to last all the way through to the second to last episode of Lost, everybody was hyped up. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's going to come to an end! Holy! I crap. was thinking about Lost. I was thinking about Lost. And then the last episode left so many people disappointed because they didn't understand it, myself included, until much later, if at all. Um, it, it took Tom Merritt for me to realize that I was wrong about it. And he called me out on court killers, and I had to go do my research and rewatch it. And I was like, "Ah, now it totally makes sense." Could I explain it? No, uh, but it makes sense, and that's exactly what he said. And um, how do you feel about this series going into the last episode? What is your pre-finale impression of the series as a whole? So as a whole, I think it has been entertaining. I'm glad we did this. I don't really think that this lives up to the hype that it gets. I think that it is one of the few shows right now that is of an epic quality, if you will, or or an epic nature. And that's probably contributing to why it gets the attention that it has. I don't know that there's really anything like it or that we've had anything like it before short of, say, the Tolkien films or something along those lines that had long, long story arcs with complicated histories. I mean, that's what Tolkien was really known for, right? Mm -hmm. But 
Like, if I were to compare this to those movies, I far preferred those movies. Mm. Because I felt like they hit the note every single time. And there are too many times with this show where either the, the, the approach that they've taken is so so precise and so specific that I don't notice it. And I feel like I'm, I can't be alone in that <laughs> or that it just goes in a direction that doesn't make any sense or is, or, or feels satisfying. And this episode was a, a good example of that. So going into the finale next week, like I get why your wife doesn't want to watch it. I'm very frustrated right now, and I don't see how they wrap this all up in one episode, but that's why I'll watch it, mm-hmm. right? I want to see how they pull it off. I want to see how they end these characters' stories, and I just hope that it doesn't disappoint. So I'm going in hoping I don't get disappointed. It's worth saying, I love the ending for last. Still tear up when I see that last scene. Yeah. Um, for me, I think this has been a very epic adventure. I think that the, as the show has strayed from the written material, it has gotten harder to maintain that um, that initial uh, wonderment that the show or, or the early seasons had, with the exception mm-hmm. of three, because three was just super slow but i still think that when they they started the show george R. R. martin said you have 10 years to tell the story i'm not going to release another book until you released all until the story is closed out and i expect wins a winner the next book in the series to come out this christmas Hmm. And I am exceptionally happy that I watched it. I'm even happier that I rewatched it with you and Jenny. And I think it's just, it's probably one of my favorite shows, even though I understand it has its flaws. Of course, Firefly and Friends are the other two on that list. So, and House, man, there's a lot of good TV. And um, (laughs) yeah, would I recommend this series to someone? Of course. Of course I would. What, All right. I, I did several times. That's why you got on the show. Yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why I'm here. And I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. I, I just, it, it, it isn't on my top five or maybe even 10 list. Hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, okay. Um, yeah. well, well, we close this out. Uh, we got one episode left next week and uh, hopefully we will have a guest for it as well because we were supposed to try to have one tonight and it, or this morning and didn't work out because it's this morning. Um, one of our, one of our regular hosts can even stay on very long because of life. So, um, once you close this out, Richard, and we will, uh, tell people that, uh, there's a lot of feedback they can give at let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Oh, nice plug there. And we're going to go through all of that in the post conclusion episode. Yes. We will have one more episode after our next, where we go through the feedback and we love your feedback. So thank you, Anthony. If people don't necessarily want to tell us what they think about Thrones or our discussion thereof. But they, instead, they want to tell you what they think about you. How could they do that? Uh, in their heads. 
They can, <laughs> Don't tell me. Yeah, they can, they can share, share their opinions of me in their own minds. If they would like to throw a witty <laughs> joke at me, though, you can find me on Twitter at Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. All right. And if anyone wants to tell me how Game of Thrones clueless I am, <laughs> they can do that by sending me a message at Richard Gunther on Twitter. And, and definitely don't DM me. Just send it in public. Shame me publicly. Because, you know, it's far more fun I, that way. I, I own my ignorance. I'm all about it. And uh, this has been Let's Talk About Thrones. Uh, oh, we almost forgot Jenny. Uh, I, She's not here, but we can tell people that they can reach Jenny, too. At J-E-N-N-I-E-J-2-3 on Twitter. Jenny J23, she's awesome. We're sorry she's not here for the conclusion of this episode, but thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. Bye. R-A-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y